There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Hi, friends. Pastor Mike with you hosting WCN-TV today, sitting in for Rob Pugh. Um, This is going to be a very, very interesting and uh, edifying conversation. So in the next few seconds, you've got a chance. Text your friends. Tell them to join us here on WCNTV.net. I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Gregory Parker, Jr. The book is What is Christianity? Herman Bavink, Herman Bavink. Now, chances are, unless you've been through seminary and uh, are familiar with the Reformed theology persuasion, you probably haven't heard of Bavink. <laughs> chances are very good you haven't. But here's a here's a newsflash. You need to get familiar with him. This uh, this book, and, and really, it consists of of two of uh, Bavink's papers: Christianity and then the Christian faith. Very good job. Now you can tell it's not going to take you days and days and days to read it. You can you can read it in uh, in a few hours, and and you'll be blessed when you do. Um, Dr. Parker, thank you for joining me today. No problem at all. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's uh, it's a real honor to be on the show. Oh, you're you're welcome. So, um, Don Otis, you're you're familiar with Don, uh, suggested that I that I have you on sent me the book and, and uh, I'm grateful that he did. It it was a very good read. Um, It reminded me of some of the strong points and not that we truly ever forget, but some of the strong points uh, apologetically that we can use as we are sharing Christ and, and the Christian faith with, with other people. Um, So right out of the gate, Greg, when I when I look at a work like this, and and you translated this by the way, because uh, Bavink was a was a Dutch uh, um, theologian, um, much more than that, of course, and, and we'll get into that. But uh, translated um, from the Dutch, which I I, I admire um, theologians that can do that, and and I know it's part of it's part of the program. Uh, for for some degrees, isn't it that you have to, yeah, you have to yep, study, yeah. broad, translate. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, you know the deal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. That's for sure. 
Um, I remember reading uh, uh, R.C. Sproul's uh, curriculum uh, uh, resume uh, one time. <laughs> I thought, oh, my goodness, because, you know, he um, I think he was at uh, Edinburgh. I thought I think he did some some uh, work in in uh, Germany, but I forget which. But he did some translating from the German and. I just admire folks that uh, that take on that that gorilla. But anyway, um, what so so right out of the gate, Greg, what uh, what drew you to to Bavink? I mean, how how did you become aware of his work, um, and what drew you to him, and and why is that important for for modern Christians to to understand who Bavink was, what his work had to do with with edifying and strengthening the church. Yeah, certainly. Um, so, so Herman uh, Bavink or Bavink, uh, people say it many different ways. Yeah. Uh, like you said, he was a, a Dutch theologian. He was also a philosopher, um, a, a Christian pastor in his uh, reform denomination. He also sat in parliament for a season towards the, the end of his life. So uh, Bavink scholars have liked to call him a polymath, meaning he's, he was kind of an expert in many things or a jack of all trades. And actually, a master of few, uh, and uh, or or maybe a centripetal scholar uh, might be another way to look at it. And that uh, he saw all these various spheres uh, that the Christian uh, gets to engage with uh, in their daily life, and was trying to make sense of them all out of a Christian perspective. And so, looking at the world and trying to really articulate a, a Christian way of being and living in, in, uh, at, at the turn of the twentieth century. So. He's really a, a fascinating figure because of uh, kind of his his background is very much in this reformed uh, Orthodox tradition. He's wanting to stay faithful to scripture. He's wanting to do theology in a way that is in conversation with the church. But he's also uh, kind of close enough to us in history, uh, having died in 1921, that many of his concerns as a, a modern person are shared by by us, by our, our own concerns. Of, the onset of secularization or the mm -hmm. terrors and horrors of war. Um, these things are, are on our conscience as well. Uh, yeah. So he's a fascinating figure because he's, he's very modern. He wants to be very faithful to scripture. Um, what drew me to him initially uh, and really kind of bombing studies in, in, in general has really blossomed in the last uh, 20 years is uh, he remained kind of hidden behind the Dutch, I guess you could say for, for quite some time. There are a few translations that trickled into English in the 1950s, um, and Banner of Truth did uh, a book, I think in the 80s, uh, but by and large, uh, he was still just in Dutch until really 2003 to 2008. Uh, his really long uh, academic book, uh, Reform Dogmatics, that uh, like you said, is really for the, the seminarian or um, the, you know, the scholar in training, um, those folks got to uh, begin to read Bobbing, um and really found in him you know, a very rich, reformed uh, theology, someone who was uh, interested in being faithful to scripture and indexing their thought uh, to scripture. Um, and so I was finishing up Bible college in 2013, 2014, and uh, I really liked what I had learned in, in Bible college, but I was thinking I probably need to, to bolster my understanding of, of theology as I, I kind of looked out at uh, what my career path was at the time, which is I wanted to be a pastor. 
Uh, and so I thought, all right, well, I'm going to start reading Bobbink's Reform Dogmatics alongside of uh, the ministry I was involved in and, and really help myself uh, get a richer understanding uh, of kind of the, the overarching system of scripture. Uh, in the midst of that process, uh, begun a seminary degree at Gordon-Conwell and uh, kind of uh, twisted some professors' arms to let them need, uh, let me read more Bobbink. And uh, the more Bob Inc. I read, I guess I, I got sort of addicted to him. And uh, uh, one of the things I, I really liked about him, um, which I think comes across uh, quite clear in this, this little book, uh, he's, he's, while he's a very much steeped in his own tradition of Reformed theology, he's a very uh, generous and ironic and capacious thinker in that he, he wants to see the good, the true, and the beautiful in other thinkers and, and affirm um, the good and the true and the beautiful in them, uh, while also being uh, free to disagree with them on various points. And, and I thought this was uh, very welcomed uh, to me in my seminary experience. We might even say, I'm not sure if this uh, phrase only makes sense to me and my friends, but uh, kind of a cage stage Calvinism, uh, where you know, I was trying to wrestle everyone into Calvinism and, and couldn't really uh, uh, make friends with non-Calvinists, and mm -hmm. then Bavink was um, uh, a welcomed corrective because he helped me to see, oh, actually, I I can coexist with other Christian brothers and sisters and <laughs> and find the good, the true, and the beautiful in, in the way that they uh, understand God, um, and still it's okay if I disagree with them too, and and we can kind of hold these two in tension, and uh, kind of maybe even in broader scale looking out across the uh what i would say um kind of rampant tribalism and evangelicalism it was it was just a, a, a breath of fresh air uh, that we could uh he could disagree with someone without uh, totally disparaging them and, and kind of writing them off entirely um so when, when i was in seminary then uh, really i guess uh uh, baptism by fire in, in, in Bobbink and then just kind of fell in love with the way he was doing theology and, and got involved in a PhD program then at the University of Edinburgh. And, and Edinburgh is, is becoming something of a Bobbink hub. There's a number of, of, of good reformed uh, guys studying uh, Bobbink over there and doing really interesting and, and stimulating work on him. And um, so finished up my, my PhD now. And uh, one of the things that happened during the PhD program was a friend of mine, Cameron Fossing, who has translated a couple of Bobbing books with me. Um, we really noticed that this academic side of Bobbing was really being uh, maybe elevated or, or focused on uh, to the extent that his really pastoral or maybe more lay heart was getting overlooked. And so in 2000, um, I guess 18, 2017, we began a series of translation projects to really highlight this pastoral Bobbink who not only can do this uh, ivory tower academic theology where he's you know, engaging with all these names that make our, our eyes roll over uh, in our heads, you know, Hegel and Schleiermacher and, and so on and so forth. I don't want to bore anyone on your show, uh, but, but also he's, he's concerned with the, the, the person in the pew. And, uh, and so we began to, to translate some of these works, The Sacrifice of Praise, uh, which looks at uh, the time in a, a Christian's life after they've confessed um, the faith, but they haven't yet started taking the Lord's Supper. Uh, then we translated Guidebook for Instruction in the Christian Religion, which is really a, a systematic theology for high schoolers. 
um, which I, I think is really fascinating because his, his daughter was actually about that age. She would have been 18, 19. Uh, so if you really think about it, uh, he was writing, um, you were the top theologian in the Netherlands writing a systematic theology for his daughter to read, uh, which is just so heartwarming. I, I get like chills on my neck yeah. when I think about it. Yeah. Um, and then as we were finishing up this project, um, I kind of, uh, part of my PhD research was leading me in this direction of uh, the essence of Christianity question. Um, and I thought, you know what, this, this is a really interesting uh, text. It's, it's kind of a, a publisher that he didn't really do much else with. It was um, particularly the first essay in the book. Um, it was a part of this, this broader series that the publisher was doing that was exploring kind of the various religions in the Netherlands, uh, almost a, an a la carte type uh, publishing series. You know, what, what's Islam like? What's Hinduism like? What's Christianity like? And, and Bhavik got asked uh, to write the Christianity one. Uh, and so it's really his somewhat ap apologetic or persuasive uh, essay uh, for the general public to get a taste of, of what is Christianity. Uh, and he really makes the, the point that that Christianity is is Christ Himself, uh, and he thinks that that's the really the, the takeaway or the, the question we need to all be wrestling with. Then is uh, is what do we make of Christ? Yes. Um, so yes, yeah, so I kind of fell into Bopink and I fell in love with Bopink uh, towards the end of uh, or in the midst of seminary, and uh, really his his irenicism, uh, his approach to a desire to find the, the true, the good, and the beautiful. And I, and I think these are all things that, uh, that the church can very much um, uh, accept and, 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 and read and welcome with, with open arms. Yeah. Yes, yes. A, a, amen, Greg. And I wonder, um, maybe, maybe you know, um, I wonder if uh, Francis Schaeffer was influenced at all by, uh, by Bavink because um, and and I'm I'm very familiar with Schaefer's work. I cut my teeth on on his. Uh, uh, well, I I lost track of how many books he actually put out, but uh, <laughs> um, I I cut my teeth on on philosophy and apologetics on on Schaefer. Um, but hearing you describe uh, Bavink, it seems to me that Schaefer kind of followed in in Bavink's footsteps in the sense that um, Schaefer understood that we we were living, as Bavink did, um, that we were living in a very uh, religious, pluralistic religious culture. And here's how you navigate it. You, you, you understand uh, the other worldviews and, and what they believe and why they believe it, and then you you begin to to discuss that with them, pointing out uh, internal inconsistencies or or positive things as well, but but leading them to a place where where they might consider the fact that their belief system just simply is not um, intellectually or 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 logically satisfactory. Is 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 that a way to to adequately describe? Um, uh, Bavink's character and really his his desire to present Christ in a way that that people of of all faiths could receive. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very fair articulation. Uh, I, I believe they have a a, a shared Schaefer and Bavink, um, and I believe Schaefer's time that he spent around Van Til 
uh, Van Til was very much uh, influenced by Bavink. Um, uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll joke with uh, folks who really know and love Van Til, and I'll say things like uh, uh, the best of Bavink or best of Van Til is actually just Bavink, and the worst of Van Til <laughs> is Van Til. Um, and and so I think there's uh, through Van Til, uh, Schaefer got quite a bit of of Bavink, maybe perhaps without even in realizing it, because uh, I think you're right that that they're kind of shared approach to um, building constructioning uh, constructing a, a christian worldview is is very similar yeah yeah so uh, the, one of the things uh, another thing that impressed me about uh, bob inc was um and you mentioned he went to be with the lord in 1921 so um uh higher criticism and and that whole field was 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 emerging it, it burst on the scene a little bit after that full-blown but it was but it was emerging and 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 he saw that and um he somehow managed to to separate himself from that growing um school of thinking and criticism and um questioning the reliability of the scriptures and he he stayed on point didn't he yeah yeah i think there are really two uh many main points in his theology that really helped him to do that uh, one aspect of it is uh, he was he's well known for this or, organic motif uh, idea, which is that he draws on uh, organic language to talk about the scripture. Uh, so in other words, uh, the Gospels might be a great example of this. Uh, the Gospels are unified in that they tell the one story of, of Christ's life, death and resurrection, uh, but yet that they are diverse accounts and that this is actually uh, beautiful. And rather than it somehow uh, devaluing what is happening or occurring in scripture, it's actually very organic. And, and it's a, a beautiful display of God's unity and diversity that he would make himself known in these uh, these diverse stories that are unified around a particular figure um, being Christ. And so I think his uh, kind of organicism helped him to uh, confront that sort of idea. And you do see this in, in other uh, figures like Gerhardus Voss, uh, Voss and Bob were were tight friends and uh, they actually went on vacation one time together in Berlin, which is a, a story for another time. But uh, another point in Bobbing's theology is it was very important to him uh, that we understood not simply that scripture is, is God breathed, uh, but that it is God breathing. Uh, so kind of both sides of this, uh, the, the theological term would be theopanusti, uh, this inspiration. Uh, so maintaining that scripture uh, is inspired that we have the Holy Word of God, but then also as we engage with Scripture, it is still living and active as we uh, read and engage it. And and kind of those those two points of uh, inspiration and and his organicism, I think, really helped him there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Um, he wasn't stuck in the ivory tower, as <laughs> as the saying goes. Yeah, because he rubbed elbows with people, and, and and you mentioned he spent he spent several years in the Dutch Parliament and and dealing with um, with politicians and and uh, staying true to being an ambassador mm -hmm. for Christ in that context. You you you, yeah. you you certainly have the language of heaven. Second uh, Corinthians five. We are. We are ambassadors for Christ, so we we're tasked with speaking His message, even in that context. But you do it in a way, uh, in the language of Earth, that right. that that people can understand, and never forgetting uh, who who has called you. So that yeah, uh, I think one of the uh, sorry, if I can jump no, in, Mike, no, one, one of the the coolest uh, 
uh, images of, of bobbing for me in terms of uh, not being trapped in this ivory tower, uh, or maybe maybe there's two of them. One is that uh, bobbing went to church every Sunday, uh, and, and he participated in the very normal, ordinary Christian life of, of sitting under the preached word and receiving the sacraments and, and being a part of uh, you know his local church. Uh, so he, he didn't neglect the very ordinary uh, ways that God was uh, involving him in, in, in changing him uh, through the preached word. And then secondly, uh, especially in the last uh, 15, 20 years of his life, uh, outside of uh, university and outside of his immediate church context, uh, he spent a ton of time with young adult societies, uh, attending their, their meetings and, and giving them uh, kind of trying to equip these young Christian men and women uh, in how to be Christian in a, a rapidly shifting world, uh, which I just think is, is so cool um, because some of these societies, and uh, I, I don't want to bore you guys with the Dutch names of them, but they would eventually become what is known as the YMCA. And so to picture uh, this, you know, supreme or, or you know, one of the, the top living theologians in the world you know, lecturing uh, to these young men and women at a YMCA just kind of blows me away uh, that he, he really wanted to invest in the next generation. Yes, yes. And, and when, we, when we recall or study and understand the times in which um, he was doing that, so, so right after uh, World War I, um, there was, as you know, Greg, there's this big push globally, big push for, for peace. And mm-hmm. um, progressivism was just coming on the scene um, in the late 1800s, 1890s. It, it came in uh, in full force uh, during during the early 1900s, which would have been the time that you're talking about uh, right. being mm-hmm. uh, ministering to the culture. I'll just say it that way, which is which is a beautiful thing to see. Um, but I really. Uh, I'm really blessed to hear you say that um, Bavink did not forget the Ecclesia. He he attended regularly. He knew the importance of that um, because I know a great many people today who have turned their back on the Ecclesia, who say they don't need the Ecclesia, they can go on without it. Um, that breaks my heart when I hear that because it simply is not true. Yep. Amen, Mike. Yeah. So um, you say uh, in the book, I, I didn't write the page number down, Greg, I'm sorry, but Bavink said that impartiality is not the same as indifference. Impartiality is not the same as indifference. I think he was talking there Well, maybe you can explain exactly what he meant. I thought that was a, um, a good point to bring up. Um, being impartial uh, is not the same as being indifferent. Now, today I would call people that are indifferent, um, well, I, I would characterize them as the duns, those who say they're just they're just done with organized uh, church, organized religion. They're just indifferent, and and so they walk away from that. Um, how is that different, though, than impartiality? Do you recall that in Bavink's writings? Yeah, uh, so it's it's very early on in the book, uh, and he's he's somewhat uh, defending himself. Uh, he's he's just written this book for, uh, like I said, a, a publisher he hasn't really worked with before, 
Um, and he's, I think he has in mind that people are going to pick this up and think, wait a second, uh, you're, a, you're a Christian writer writing a book about Christianity. Aren't, aren't you just going to come to the conclusion that, that Christianity is great? Uh, and he's, he wants to kind of put them on the back foot and say, wait a second, just because I'm, I'm writing out of a tradition, just because I, I confess that I am a Christian, that doesn't mean that I'm uh, indifferent to the concerns of, of modern reality. I'm, I'm essentially, I'm, he's saying, I'm, I'm a Christian not because this is the tradition I grew up in, but because this is genuinely what I believe to be the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and so th it doesn't make him indifferent to the concerns of the world, uh, but rather he's just, he's located himself, really. Hey, put my hand up. I'm a Christian, and, and this is who I am. And I believe that this is the truth. I believe that this is uh, this is the only way. And I I can I can write about Christianity, and that does not make mean that I disregard everything that you say. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Amen. Well, and uh, <laughs> that would that would be a very valuable uh, quality and characteristic uh, for more Christians to have today. Um, in in fact to not be offended by that, by that criticism and explain why it's not really valid. Um, I think that would go a long way to, to opening up and continuing conversations and communication. Um, mm -hmm. Arguments and, and polemics are just not going to win people or persuade them to the truth of Christianity. Right. In my and opinion. Yeah. And it's the irony that, uh, you know, we live in a, a very postmodern culture. Uh, culture that wants to tell us that uh, there is no truth, uh, but to even make that statement, uh, right, is is a truth claim. Uh, right. And so we're we're much more honest with ourselves when uh, we acknowledge that we actually do have beliefs and that we're navigating the world out of a position of faith. And uh, and 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 Bavik would really press uh, every individual, even the the person who believes that they are an atheist. He would press them to. Uh, come to the conclusion that they too are living out of some sort of faith system, even yes. if they, they don't believe they are. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I actually uh, have had an, uh, opportunities over the years in conversation with people to, to ask that question of them when they make that comment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there is no absolute truth. And you just look at them very seriously and say, is that true? I remember yeah. once I, somebody <laughs> very puzzled, looked at me very puzzled when I, when I, gave that response and well, what are you getting at? It was, they understood it af after a moment and had to concede. Well, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the things that uh, Bavink said that was, uh, well, it really resonates with the points that we've been making. Um, but he said the primary question in religion in theology and most people uh, that, that are, have joined us, Greg, hearing that much, they're thinking, okay, is it uh, soteriology? Is it pneumatology? Uh, uh, is it, uh, no, here it is. The most important, the primary question in religion and theology, here it is. You ready, folks that have joined us? What do you make of Christ? Hmm. What do you make of Christ? Um, he, he, he stuck to the main thing and and kept his eyes on the center of the target. Yeah, yeah the, the whole book kind of orbits this question. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, from the very beginning, he, he really begins in the Gospels trying to tell us who Jesus Christ is. Mm-hmm. Then he displays that the, the development of the Christian confession really orbits our confession of who Christ is. Uh, he extrapolates that further into Christian history, uh, kind of showing the development of Christian thought and the, the splitting between the East and the West, and then the further splitting uh, between Rome and the various Protestant denominations. But he's continually circling back to kind of really display to us, well, wait a second, uh, the question that is on uh, the tip of, uh, or should be on the tip of all of our tongues as we approach scripture is, is what do we make of Christ? And that is really the, the central question that uh, every human needs to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for Bavink, what was, for him, what was the most remarkable thing uh, in the teachings of Jesus? So for, for Bavink, one of the most r- remarkable aspects of scripture is really uh, the, the humility of Jesus Christ. Uh, so what's typically uh, characterized under the banner of uh, the son of man. And so he really thought that this, this, this declaration that, uh, that Christ has become human at the same time as being uh, the king of the kingdom of God or the son of God, the true uh, divine son, uh, he, he thought that that was really such a a remarkable uh, part of Christian theology, and and it makes sense uh, given the the role that he uh, positions. The question of of what does one make of Christ? Well, it would make sense then if he thought the most remarkable thing about Christianity was uh, Christ Himself, uh, the God Man, the one who is truly man and truly God. Mm. So, one of the things that uh that Babank uh, wrestled with and tried to communicate and, and really um, in an apologetic manner. Uh, and again, he, because he lived in that time when, when criticism was, was on the rise, um, the Bible's authenticity, its integrity, its internal consistency, its reliability, um, there's great value in, in pastors and teachers reminding believers um, that we can trust what we have, the, the scriptures, that they are reliable, they are um, good representations of the original manuscripts. And how would we, Greg, and this may be off the book somewhat, but I'm, I'm feeling pressed to ask this question of you, your thoughts, what would be a few simple ways that we could encourage believers that have joined us for this conversation uh, and maybe equip them, uh, give them, give them some courage um, to answer questions when they're challenged, um, not in a, not in an argument, but, but in a way that might bring some clarity to those who doubt the reliability of the scriptures. What are just a couple of things that we could say about that? That that you glean from uh, Bob Banks' writings? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so we we could certainly fall back on those uh, two principles that I mentioned earlier: uh, that God as a a triune God, a, a God who is is one, uh, yet discloses Himself in three persons. Um, what Bob Bank would call uh, uh, God's unity in diversity. Uh, that God makes Himself known uh, in in preacherly ways in Scripture. Uh, in a unity and diversity, uh, meaning the scripture is telling a single, a cohesive narrative, uh, but yet uh, it's it's being told in a, a diverse number of ways. And 
Uh, so that's that's what uh, is known as kind of Bovink's organicism. Um, and so that would be one way. I think uh, also the um, what I mentioned about uh, scripture being both God breathed and God breathing. But if I could add a third, uh, which I think really does flow out of Bovink's book, uh, is that Bovink felt one of the most persuasive things about uh, scripture and most persuasive things about uh, Christianity itself uh, was the phenomena of the church or the existence of the church, uh, that the existence of the church, that it, it blossomed out of these unlearned and uneducated men who then went on to go and, and really change the world uh, by the power of the spirit, that this itself uh, demanded that the world pay attention to what is going on in Christianity. Uh, and so even if you, you, know, you approach someone who maybe has questions about uh, scripture, and maybe you don't know all the, the facts about uh, you know, various manuscripts and, and how many manuscripts are uh, for each uh, book, uh, you could simply state to them that the, uh, the, the, the fact that the church exists um, in the wake of Christ's death and resurrection uh, is the greatest testimony uh, to the truthfulness of the accounts and the truthfulness uh, of scripture. Uh, and that's what, what Bobink really wants us to kind of uh, uh, battle with uh, here apologetically. Yes. Yes. Amen. And that um, that was a was a was a powerful testimony to the to the world. Um, Bavink wrote about um, the the separation of Christianity. What 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 caused it to begin to separate from other major religious belief systems? Um, and he gives a as we were discussing before we went on the air. He, he gives a powerful, powerful, concise, though, history of the church and uh, Christianity, among other faith systems. And, and uh, how did Bavink, um, how did he describe that, that, that separation that began to take place among the major religious belief systems? Yeah. Um, so so the, the two major splits that he, he talks about is the, the splitting of the East from the West. So we have Eastern Orthodoxy. And then at mm -hmm. that point, uh, uh, the whole uh, rest of the Christian church would have been considered Catholics. Uh, and then we have this time of the Reformation with uh, Luther, Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli, and John Calvin. Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe, it, maybe it'll surprise uh, some of your listeners um, that, that Bavink really didn't see this these splits or these um, this diversifying of the church as necessarily a bad thing. Uh, he saw it as a, a, a maybe two things. Uh, he saw it as actually a, a transition in the way that uh, we were um, viewing the gospel from our hearts, first and foremost, rather than our heads, and that the, the Reformation was not uh, arrived at kind of deductively or maybe uh, by, by the intellect. Uh, Luther was not thinking, uh, well, I, I need to uh, change this because of X, but it was actually because of ex his experience of what was going on in the Catholic Church uh, that that salvation was really being withheld from people. And this was uh, really tearing at his soul. And so the Reformation brought about uh, this freedom of the gospel and freedom in the gospel that Christ was for you. Uh, and you didn't have to uh, uh, yes. toss a, a coin into the. Uh, Yes. Uh, Tetzel's little, um, I'm forgetting the, the name of it. But so, so first and foremost, the, the Reformation was a, a, a transformation of the heart, uh, was what was taking place in people. Um, and then secondly, 
that the, the diversity of the church is, is not inherently a, a bad thing to uh, Bobbank, but rather that uh, just as scripture is displayed in a unity and diversity that tells a cohesive story uh, told by uh, various authors, uh, that the church represents a, a unity in diversity, uh, that we share this common confession mm -hmm. of Christ, and yet this gets manifoldly uh, uh, kind of extrapolated by the existence of the body of Christ, uh, which confesses the one name of Christ, uh, but perhaps has differing uh, secondary viewpoints on, on various doctrines. Yes, yeah. And that was a very powerful point that uh, Bavink made um, that you just mentioned, he says that um, the Reformation did not have its uh, origin in intellectual reasoning. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, I had to read that twice. It's like, okay, where's <laughs> he going with this? <laughs> uh -huh. oh. Yeah, it, it, it really had to do with the pra practical application, how it was being uh, manifested and, and really, um, I'll be kind and say mismanaged. Uh, <laughs> and Luther was concerned about that. Uh, yeah. and, and for about a, that. a long time, Luther did not view himself as, uh, you know, creating his own uh, denomination or, or right. as a, a, a Protestant. Uh, for a very long time, he, he still viewed himself as a faithful member of the Catholic Church. That's right. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, so... Let's let's fast forward, I guess, to now. Uh, and I don't know if if you've been asked this question before, um, but if you could put yourself in Bavink's uh, place, what would he think about the modern church as a as a whole? What what do you think his thoughts would be? Because let's 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 frame it this way, Greg. I I think we are a we are a church in crisis, and um, I would be very interested to hear your thoughts on what Bob Bank would say. Yeah, yeah so, so I think Bob Bank might have primarily two concerns, um, and maybe I'll, I'll add a third. But uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, at, at the turn of the 20th century, he was very concerned with the, the fracturing of the church, uh, mm -hmm. that we were constantly kind of pointing fingers at each other. And, and blaming each other for anything and everything that could go wrong. Um, and he was worried that uh, this was just not a, a persuasive presentation to uh, a fallen world of, of who Christ is and, and what the church is. And so he was very concerned, um, and I think it comes forth in this, uh, in this book, with trying to present really a, a unified uh, church uh, that rather than uh, tearing each other down, we should be concerned with really presenting ourselves as a church that is unified in Christ, uh, that we that we do have differences, uh, but ultimately, you know, these differences are going to be resolved when we see uh, the Son of God face to face in the beatific vision. Um, mm. So I think I don't think that concern would change very much for him as as he looks at our own modern time. Um, we're we're still very tribalistic in evangelicalism. Uh, there's a lot of interest in, in tearing each other down, especially mm -hmm. on uh, social media platforms. Um, yes. there, there doesn't seem to be much of an interest in you know, supporting each other and, and, and building each other up in, in brotherly love, especially a, across uh, denominational lines. Uh, so I think that would continue to be a concern of this. And uh, 
and and I think it's it's quite remarkable that he could do this uh, without in some way betraying his confessions. Uh, he, he was very interested in being a, a reformed uh, Presbyterian uh, believer who upheld uh, all the, the confessions of his uh, church denomination. So this isn't in some way him, him backtracking and, and trying to get rid of uh, you know, certain beliefs in Christianity, uh, but rather he, he thought you, you can be a Christian who holds to their belief very strongly and still love your brother and sister in Christ. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, so that would be one side. Um, he he didn't necessarily have to deal with this, uh, but I think he would be concerned with a kind of the the, the rampant maybe brand building or or personality based uh, ministries. Uh, one of the the big differences between him and his uh, contemporary Abraham Kuyper. So some some of your listeners may have heard of Abraham Kuyper before. He's a little bit uh, more famous of a uh, of a neo Calvinist, which is the tradition that Bavink belonged to. Uh, some some people have said that Kuiper and Bavink are like the Mercedes and Benz of of this tradition. So I'm surprised <laughs> that we've made it a uh, uh, 40 minutes in until I I mentioned Kuiper. Um, but yeah. but Kuiper and, and Bavink were slightly different in their kind of personalities, where uh, Kuiper was much more uh, boisterous and and. Uh, kind of demanded attention and and his his pen was always moving and influencing people uh and and Bobbink was much more reserved um you, you get the impression uh from his personal letters that he really wanted to keep his private life private uh, he didn't want to be kind of pushed onto a, a center stage um even contrasting maybe the the end of uh Kuiper and Bobbink's life Kuiper had a, a a death mask made of his face. I don't know if uh, anyone will know what a death mask is, but you can you can Google it after the show. Uh, but the folks used to uh, literally have kind of a um, like a paper mache mask type thing made of their face uh, that could would be kind of held on display for people to see. And that was something that Kuiper very much wanted. He wanted a death mask made so people would never forget what he looked like. And, uh, and Bavink had no interest in, in that sort of thing. So much so when he was dying, uh, he was he was telling people, don't, don't write down my final words. I'm, I'm not I'm not interested in people knowing, um, you know, what, what it's like for me to die. Um, so just just very different approaches to uh, really life. Uh, and so I think if we're kind of to pull Bavink forward now to our own time with um, you know Twitter and, and and Facebook and TikTok and and Instagram and Be Real and all these social media platforms that really try to to push uh, maybe brands or personalities upon us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here yeah. I am on a on a show trying to get you guys to buy my book, right? It's a it's a sort of a <laughs> a, a brand in a way, right? And I, I think that would really uh, it would really concern Bobbing um, that we've become so uh, kind of inoculated with this way of uh, of doing the Christian life in a, in a very we can say that like it's become very normal for us to look to, you know, personalities or, or figures to really guide us uh, rather than, you know, we might say the very normal means uh, that God has instituted in his local church. Um, so I think those two things would, would really uh, concern him if we're going to look uh, particularly at the church itself. Uh, and then thirdly, I, I think he would still be concerned with uh, secularism and its, its potential uh, influence in the church, uh, the times he spent uh, in, in Parliament, and uh, and even 
like today, if you were to, um, if someone were to pick you up, Mike, and just kind of drop you in the Netherlands, and you had to, you know, kind of find the first person to tell you something about Baja Bank, you know, you'd probably ask 30 people, and then that 30th person would say, oh, actually, yeah, now that you mention it, I went to Baja Bank Elementary School, or, oh, my street is, is Baja Bank Street, which the school is on. And what Bavink was best known for uh, in the Netherlands shortly after um, uh, his, his death was actually his work as a, a pedagogist. So his work on really uh, the philosophy of education in schools and in the classroom. Mm. Uh, so again, kind of displaying his, his mastery of all these different fields, this, this polymath type nature. Uh, and so he was very interested in what was going on in education in the Netherlands. And so I think likewise, he would be pretty concerned about what's happening in, in education in America and, uh, and what's going on in public schools and, and, and how the curriculums are being uh, swapped left and right. And so I think that would concern him. Yes. Yeah. Great, great answer, Greg. Great answer. Friends, I'm talking with Dr. Greg Parker. The book is Herman Bavink. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate that. What is Christianity? It consists of two essays, Christianity and the Christian faith. I, I, I don't want any names, but <laughs> do you think that there is on the scene today any church leaders, churchmen who have the heart and the spirit that uh, Herman Bobink had in that um, we must pursue unity? Uh, we must get beyond uh, thinking that being ecumenical in the purest sense, because that's become a, a toxic word today. As soon as you throw that out, uh, you have turned people off immediately. Uh, but what we're talking about is is unity in the true spirit of Christ, something that that Christ himself prayed for us, that we would achieve that so that we could be the strongest, most powerful representation of him on the earth uh, without naming anybody. <laughs> I don't want to put that on him, but do you think there are, there are churchmen or, or ministry leaders that have, that have resisted what you just, because boy, Greg, you nailed it. You nailed it. You nailed it. Uh, this I call it the cult of personality. Yeah. And and mm -hmm. and and the branding of 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 a name, uh, you know, the the figurehead and and the ministry. Um, is there anyone on the scene today that that might be able, with a little bit of encouragement, to step into those shoes? I know they're big shoes. Yeah, that's that's a great question, Michael. Um, so, so I think the the clearest uh, maybe witness or, or testimony of this in, in my life are, are typically people who kind of remain behind the scenes and, and that they, they quietly uh, do work in, in either the local church context or perhaps uh, Christian education or the university context. Uh, and they just, they just quietly uh, shape the, the hearts and minds of, of those around them uh, towards the truth and for the gospel. Uh, so, so many of these people probably don't have um, uh, opportunities for public platforms, uh, but they've really much have embraced uh, the role uh, and the calling that God has given them in their specific communities. Um, if, if I were to be pressed maybe to drop a name, <laughs> go uh, ahead. <laughs> uh, I would probably say uh, one of my former professors, Adonis Vidu, um, he was a professor at Gordon-Conwell, 
he does a lot of uh, high level Trinitarian thinking, uh, but his, uh, his, both uh, his approach to the classroom and his approach outside of the classroom has just really been uh, always a breath of fresh air. He's very ironic in the way he approaches mm-hmm. theology and, and always willing to learn from others, uh, even uh, folks who are, are interested in critiquing him. So I, I, uh, like I said, a former professor of mine, and I, I just hold him in the highest esteem. And so I've always been really impressed with uh, how he kind of navigates both the opportunity to be in a, in a public platform as as someone who you know uh, does the occasional conference and and writes books, um, but it's very kind of reserved. You don't really know much about him unless uh, unless you're you're pressed to find things out about him. Um, I think someone maybe closer to Bobbing's own tradition. Um, who, who maybe has been uh, pushed uh, into the public's uh, spotlight because of his gifting. Um, but my, my few interactions with him on, on a personal level really blew me away is, would, be, would be Tim Feller. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's openly admitted that he's been very influenced by Bobbank and, and I think he's done uh, quite a, a good job of trying to uh, constantly in this uh, very secular New York uh, present a persuasive and winsome uh, picture of the gospel. Uh, I know that some, some folks don't like to hear his name, uh, right. uh, but I, I do think that, uh, that he's doing his, the best he can to really be, uh, to some degree, a, a modern Bobbank. Yeah, yeah. And that, so so sort of a follow-up to that, Greg, I, I think unity has to, has to play a central part, if not the central part, um, for a roadmap back to a deeper understanding of the Christian faith. I, I, I don't, with very few exceptions, um, the Christian faith is not really presented in, in, in its fullness and its richness. It, it certainly isn't in, in a good many of the ecclesias today. And, um, and again, I'm not trying to be critical, uh, but I think that we have to lay a certain amount of responsibility uh, on the pulpit and um, the shepherd has to lead and the shepherd has to give the bread of life. We, we simply cannot expect to disciple men and women for Christ and into Christ if we're not giving them the word of God. Your, your thoughts on that, Greg? Yeah, I, I, I entirely agree with you that um, we need a stronger and, and more theologically deep uh, pulpits. Uh, yes. uh, part of my desire to do a, a PhD at, at Edinburgh, I think I, I mentioned uh, uh, earlier in my story, was very much to be uh, a pastor. Uh, and I, I desired mm-hmm. to be a, a really a, a scholar pastor or a theologian pastor. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if in due time I do end up in a pulpit. Um, but that was my concern is that I think I was experiencing or at least witnessing in, in various churches that uh, the pulpit was becoming kind of a little more than a, a TED talk or, uh, yeah. you know, it, it may have been loosely based in scripture, but wasn't really, um, you know, this this rich uh, display of who God is from scripture, but maybe just something that's been laid on the pastor's heart this week. And, and I don't I don't mean to, like you said, dis- disparage uh, uh, pastors they're put in, especially over these past few years with uh, uh, that that C word. I don't want to say it. Uh, very put in a very uh, difficult position, and, and I don't uh, envy them. Um, and it is a, a deeply hard calling. Uh, but there is a, a sense in which uh, we we need strong preaching. We do. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And I think uh, 
if I can uh, maybe add to that, I think uh, Bob Mick would want us to see that uh, the preaching of the word really needs to be uh, paired with the sacraments and that if, if we can have both word and sacrament, uh, this uh, the displaying of who God is in the Lord's Supper and then uh, in, in the appropriate seasons, the displaying of who God is in, in baptism, uh, the, these, the word and the sacrament, the word uh, uh, invisible and the word made visible to us in the sacraments, uh, really display to us uh, or, or meant to gift us uh, really a, a complex and rich theology. Yes, yes. Amen. Well, Greg, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed uh, your book, The Translation of um, Christianity and the, and the Christian Faith. I, I appreciate you joining me today. Um, so thank you very much. Oh, no problem. And I, if I can give uh, one one sales pitch, yes, please. it would be that uh, 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 translated it, sent it to my mom. Uh, you always got to give your mom a free copy of your book. Yeah. And uh, and, and right. she sent a text to me after a few weeks and she said, uh, um, Bobbing's really easy to read. He just says what's in the Bible. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, that's, I should have gotten that on the back as an endorsement. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the best you could ask for. That's so, exactly uh, right. If you don't want to buy it because of me, uh, buy it uh, because of what my mom said about it, yeah. which I, I was just uh, tickled pink about. <laughs> Amen. Moms give the best endorsement. <laughs> they really do. So it's uh, it's available elsewhere. Just just uh, whatever browser you use, you can search for for Herman Bavink. What is Christianity? Translated and edited by Dr. Gregory Parker Jr. So get the book. I read it. It was very good. I enjoyed it. So, so again, Greg, thank you so much for joining me. That's all we got today. Thank you so much, Mike. It was, it was an honor to be on. You're very welcome, brother. All right, folks. Well, thank you. Please share this show with your friends and on your platforms and, and uh, remind people every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time is the Wisconsin Christian News TV. And uh, Rob will be back with you next week. That's all we have. God bless you. 